You know what's funny is we're talking about surrender today and God has had so many things in my life the last two weeks where I've made mistakes and things. It's like he's saying, it's okay, you're not in control of anything. So, so that's going to be a good start for me. It's just God's reminder of saying, just relax, just it's okay. Well, it is great to be with you here at uh, Timberline, and if you're in our South Auditorium too, it's great to have you here as well, and uh, a lot of fun to be on this staff at Timberline. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Scott, and I've been on staff for 11 years here at Timberline, but been a part of the church for 24, and it's been our family's church since we moved to Fort Collins. But if you think about being on staff for 11 years, you would think, working with all of our staff members that closely for 11 years that you would really develop a sense of camaraderie and trust and just good-hearted nature fun. And, uh, but I had something happen to me recently. I started to wonder about this. And, you know, people that would tell you that, hey, you have something in your teeth, Scott, or, you know, your zipper is down, or, you know, hey, I wouldn't go out in public like that if I were you. Uh, those kinds of moments, you know, that good friends do. Well, the other day I went through three or four meetings of our day, staff meeting, pastors meeting, another meeting, and people kept complimenting me on my new haircut. Well, in my head, I was going, this is weird. I haven't gotten a new haircut. So I thought I'd better go check it out. So I stepped into the restroom, and this is what I saw. I honestly went, you've got to be joking me. I got out of the shower this morning. I put my hair gel in, and then I didn't brush it at all. And not one staff member said, dude, what's up with your hair? been having a lot of fun with that. Gave him so much grief. I said, hey, you know, it, that is not reality. That is not how my hair usually is. So stop complimenting me on that. <laughs> well, as Pastor Bob said earlier, we've had lots of great things going on. Vacation Bible School at two of our campuses. Real Family Kids Camp at two of our campuses. And our family has had an awesome time popping in on some of these. And I just wanted to introduce you to my family if you haven't had a chance to meet them. We like taking crazy, funny pictures. So this is one of them. This is up uh, the Boulder Canyon, and I have to say at 46 years old, I still got a little bit of vertical left in me. So, But that's me, and then right next to me is my daughter, Whitney. She is 18 and going to be a freshman at University of Northern Colorado in Greeley this fall. Next to her is my son, Tennyson. He is 14 and going to be a freshman at Fossil Ridge High School right here in town. Daughter, Reagan, right next to him. She is 20, and uh, she's going to be a junior at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. And then my wife, Chris, uh, we've been married for 24 years. It'll be 25 years this July, and we have a lot of fun as a family. It's just a really good time. So wanted to make sure you knew them, and we just like to have a good time. Lots of digital pictures. We can delete them all later. You guys know how the digital age is. So it is a good time. Well, hey, as we continue the Games People Play series, I was excited to be asked to be a part of the series because I've learned a lot through these first three or four weeks of the series. Uh, the last couple of weeks especially, we got to hear from Mackenzie Matthews, our young adults director, who for the very first time had a teaching opportunity here on a weekend and did a great job walking us through living offended through the game Angry Birds. And then last week, Pastor Jeff, the game Sorry and the Power of Forgiveness. And I have to say for a Brit, he didn't do too bad. Just have to say that. Pastor Jeff, I love you if you're watching online right now from the UK. <laughs> well, today we're looking at the game of chess. How many of you have played chess ever in your life? If it's once or lots of times, raise your hand so I can see them. All right, how many of you have never played chess in your life and could care less about playing chess? Yeah, I see lots of waving hands, you know, there too. Well, just so we can all be on the same page, because you need to understand the game in order to engage with our sermon today. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a video. You're going to want to pay close attention to this because you're going to walk out of the auditoriums today knowing how to play chess. And so if you want to take your phone out and actually video the video, you can do that because you will become a professional chess player the minute you watch this video. So please enjoy this. You're going to know where all the pieces go.
Here we go. You guys tracking? Good. You see where the king went and the queen and all that stuff? You think you got it all? Yep. Ball game. There it is. All right. You guys tracking with me? You know how to play chess now. So all of you that raised your hand and said you don't know how to play, you now know how to play chess. All right, no, I'm just joking. Well, hey, just to uh, kind of just give you a little snapshot, I've got a chessboard up here that I keep in my office, and I'll tell you why here in a few minutes. But let me just tell you about a couple of the pieces on here so you at least know, so we're all on the same page. This whole front line on the chessboard, you know, is they're called pawns. They're the least important piece on the board, but there's still a lot of them. So those are pawns. Then in the back, you've got what looks like a castle. You know, that's, that's called a rook. You've got the next to it, it's a horse, which is a knight. Next to the knight, you've got the bishop. Next to the bishop, you've got the king. Tallest piece on the board, and chess is all about the king with a cross on his head. Right next to the king is obviously the queen, which the queen is the most powerful piece on the board. And then so on and so forth the rest of the way across. And so it is a lot of fun to be able to do that, uh, to be able to play chess. But it's complicated. There's about strategy. There's all kinds of things that happen, you know, in chess. But I just wanted to tell you just a couple of things about it so you would at least you know, know what it is. Well, how did I land on chess? How did I land on the word surrender, living a fully surrendered life and comparing it with chess? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because in November of 2006, I came on staff here at Timberline Church, and right away in the care office, funerals, memorials, benevolence, all of that, I became quickly overwhelmed. I like control. I'm a guy that I love to have control. I'm a detail guy. I like doing all the perfectionist things. That's just who I am. And I know I drive uh, the staff here at Timberline Church crazy. I probably drove a lot of them crazy getting ready for this weekend because of all the details that I kind of just wrestled through in my head, especially Pastor Derry. Put a visionary and a perfectionist detailist in the same room together. Man, there's some great conversations that we have, (laughs) great conversations. Well, anyway, I sat in my office in my first year on staff, overwhelmed with ministry, going, you know what, I don't really feel like I'm in control at all. God, what is that about? How do I do this? Because it's driving me crazy. I can't stay ahead of everything. I'm the type of chess player that I want to think three, four, five, six moves down the line because I want to stay ahead of everything and be in charge and be in control. Well, it was during that time that I had the chess game just pop into my head as I sat at my desk, just completely overwhelmed, hoping no one saw me. And the chess board just popped into my head, and I thought, well, that's interesting. What's that about? Well, it was like God was kind of nudging me to say, Scott, you're the type of guy that likes to keep his hands on the pieces at all times. You don't let anyone else play. You think you know what you're doing. You're in control. And it was in that moment that I felt that I had this phrase come to me that I keep having it because I keep it in my office. I take it with me a lot of times when I speak that God was saying, keep your hands off the pieces. You're going to do a better job in life and in ministry if you allow me to direct your next step and me to direct your next move. And so God and I have a wrestling match all the time. Sometimes I'll reach out and he'll be like, don't touch that. Okay, I won't touch that. But I really want to touch that. You know, and how many of you are like me? You're like, give up something to God. Hey, God, you can have control of this. Oh, wait, I need it back real quick, right? We tend to do that, you know, in our life. Well, I try to choose a word every year to focus on. I didn't want to choose the word surrender for 2018. I had a lot of other words on the list. But... God kept narrowing it down to surrender, and I'm like, oh, great. I guess I should surrender to the Lord and let surrender be my word for the year. So I did. So when Pastor Derry asked me, I knew right away that my topic was going to be surrender. I knew the game would be chess, and it just fits well with this this series. Well, if you'll take out your bulletins with me, on the back side, you're going to see a lot of blanks. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, Scott, I surrender. There's too many blanks on here. I can't do it. 
I said, I know. It's just kind of how I'm wired. Just bear with me. It will go relatively quick. So, so have some fun, you know, keeping up and fill those in. But at the very top, it gives a definition of surrender. You don't even have to write it down. It says this. Surrender is to give oneself up into the power of another. Bottom line, you boil surrender down. That's what it is. It's giving yourself up into the power of another. Now, in chess, what happens is you have to surrender. If your king is totally surrounded and you have nowhere to go, it's called checkmate. That means game over, your king is captured, and you cannot play anymore. So in surrender, that means you're admitting defeat. I have to tell my opponent. I just lay my king down, and I go, you win, I lose, I can't move my pieces anywhere else. That's what it looks like in chess. Well, today I want to propose something a little bit different as it relates to the culture that we're in, and church, and God, and following Jesus, is that I'm going to flip the definition a little bit that we'll get to here in a second. But if you think about the word surrender in our culture, you think of the movie scene. A war soldier coming up out of a bunker, hands up in the air with some sort of a white flag. Maybe they ripped off a sock or they found something white and they just are waving the flag saying, I surrender, I don't want to fight anymore. That is admitting defeat to the enemy. Or maybe it's a mixed martial arts or wrestling or boxing or anything like that where your opponent has got you so beat up so bad that you just want to tap out. It's a phrase, you know, tap out, uncle, crying uncle. You don't want to do it anymore. I give up. You win. Please don't beat me up anymore. It's admitting defeat. So again, in those scenarios, it's admitting defeat. What I want to propose today, it's not defeat. So the very first point in your, your outline there is this. Surrender is not defeat. Surrender is victory instead. So let's flip that terminology. Surrender is defeat in our culture. And let's flip it to it's actually victory. If we surrender to the Lord things in our life, it's actually going to be victory. So what does this crazy game of chess have in common with life? Let me just give you four things, you know, quickly. You're going to have to write fast, but you can do it. I know you can. The first one is this. The strategy you started with may need adjusting from time to time. Now what I mean by that is we can all start with a strategy in chess or in life. But I think we all know that we have to remain flexible. We have to remain the opportunity. If an opponent makes a move, I'm going to have to adjust my strategy and move on. Well, the second one is you win when your king is left standing. Well, can I say something to us here today that our king will always be left standing. Amen? There's no choice. There is no defeat there. It's always victory. Our king will always be left standing. Number three, both have worthy opponents. So always be alert. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, be alert. The devil, your enemy, lurks around every corner seeking whom he may devour. We have to be alert because of our opponents. And then the last one, I think a lot of us need to hear this one today. It says this, mistakes will happen. Moving on after a mistake is critical. We have to go easy on ourselves. In the game of chess, if I make a bad move, I need to just move on and recover and focus on the next thing. If I make a mistake in life, we have a God that is gracious enough with his mercy and grace to be able to just be patient with us, and we need to just move on. That's a good thing. Well, there's so many interesting parallels in chess. We could go on and on about them, but we're going to look at a passage in Psalms uh, 139. But let me tell you a little bit about that book. If you're new to church, you don't know much about the Bible, Psalms is a giant book smack dab in the middle of the Bible, 150 chapters. There's all kinds of different types of Psalms, all kinds of different authors. It goes from historical psalms to corporate lament psalms to thanksgiving psalms to praise psalms to wisdom psalms. And a wisdom psalm is just that. It's to bring some wise teachings before us. 
And that's what Psalm 139 is. The psalm we're looking at today, it's really four sections of six verses each. Really easy to break down because in a poem, there's a thing called a strophe. And that's a a section in the poem that you want to be able to look at. So we're going to look at those uh, here today. Now, psalms from the artist, the author's perspective is I am telling God something as he's listening to me about him. And that's what this psalm is today. And so I think we're going to have some fun looking at some of these truths that's in Psalm 139. So what are the keys to surrendering our lives to God and giving him full control of our lives? There's some keys in here. We need to realize, and number one, and accept that God is omniscient. Realize and accept that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Omniscient is a fancy word that God knows all. He knows everything. Can't forget that. I thought of this after the bulletin was already printed, but if you wanted to add an extra word on there next to realize and accept, you can add the word embrace. Realize, accept, and embrace that God is omniscient, all-knowing. Well, let's look at the psalm together. The first six verses, it will be on the screen and you can follow along. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Well, I had to ask myself, as soon as I read that section of Scripture, I had to say, is that comforting to me or is that disconcerting to me? Is that a comfortable thing or is it disconcerting? Because who else knows everything about me? If God knows everything, what does he think about me? Well, I've got news for us today that we have a God that knows everything about us and he still chooses to to love us. I love that, that he's all-knowing. Some of you are saying right now, well, my spouse knows everything about me or my best friend you know, or an aunt or an uncle because I share everything with them. Well, they probably know a lot, but I can guarantee you they don't know every single thought that you've had in your life. But God does. You know, he is all-knowing. He bookends that section with, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me, Lord, and ends it with, that knowledge is too wonderful for me to understand. Well, not only is he omniscient, all-knowing, next in your outline is this, he's omnipresent, present everywhere. Everywhere at all times. Right now I'm in the main auditorium, but I'm also with those of you in our south auditorium. So kind of, I'm in two places at the same time. But I can't claim that that's omniscient. That's just only God's job that he can do. Omnipresent, excuse me. He's present everywhere all at the same time. Well, this next six, six, six verses is right here. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the exact same to you. So verse 7 really captures it. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Now, someone stopped me last night after the service, and she said, hey, as a little girl, I have to tell you something. When you said God is present everywhere, as a kid, I actually prayed, God, please don't see me when I go to the bathroom. (laughs) Ah, we got a kick out of that at the Welcome Center. And she just said, just as a little kid, I just was like, if God is everywhere at all times, that means he sees me everywhere. And the answer is, yeah, but he doesn't care about the whole bathroom thing. But I got a kick out of that. Well, on top of being all-knowing and all-present, 
Letter C, he's omnipotent, which is a fancy word for saying he is all-powerful. We have an all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. These next six verses say it all. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, you are still with me. I love this six verses in this psalm because it reminds me of who I am, but also reminds me whose I am. You've probably heard that phrase a lot. That's just what God is doing here. Because if you look at that, it's saying there's so many thoughts that God has, like the grains of sand. I play beach volleyball with my daughter, Whitney, and at Chippers, I thought, you know what, if I counted all the grains of sand on this beach volleyball court, how many would that be? Well, do you want to know how many? I counted them. It took me a little while, but I counted all of them. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But it's pretty amazing. Scientists have had a guesstimate of how many grains of sand are in our world. So you math whizzes, here you go. Calculate this out in your head. 7.5 times 10 to the 18th power. That equals, because some of you already beat me to it, I'm sure, 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand. I don't know about you, but when I think about what the psalmist is saying in here, if you picture that, that God has that many thoughts about me, that God has that many thoughts about you, that God has that many thoughts in general, is a very powerful, powerful thing. Now, as a pastor, this isn't going to be on the screen. Sometimes you run across a passage of Scripture and you go, oh, great, I don't know how to wrestle with this one. Can I just take these other verses and not deal with these verses because I don't like those verses? Well, there's a section in here that David talks about, and he's kind of just asking God some questions. He's talking about the wicked. If you want to read it later, you can, or if you've already read it prior to this week. But he's basically saying, Lord, shouldn't I hate those that hate you? Shouldn't I despise those that oppose you? And what I found out in studying and getting ready for today is it's really talking about David's loyalty. He's just saying, I want to be loyal to you, God. If you're all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, I need to be loyal to you. And so I don't want to lose sight of that. But we also know in the New Testament, it says this. It says, love your neighbor. Right? It says, if somebody asks you to go one mile, you should go two miles. If someone asks you for your shirt, you're supposed to give them your coat as well. So we have to look at Scripture overall together to make sure we know how to interpret these things. And so David is really wrestling with God. Because remember earlier I said Psalms are something from the author to God, talking to God about that. So I think we all know that God wouldn't want us to hate uh, our enemies because it says love your enemies in the New Testament. Well, another key to fully surrendering to God is number two in your outline there. Come to grips with the fact that surrender is my choice. It's my choice. I have to choose, you know, what I will do. The choice, you know, is mine. If I were to go back to this chessboard and I sit down and I kind of look at it, I kind of have to go, you know what, what's my choice? Now, if it were my choice in chess, you know what I would do? I would play chess like checkers. I would just go, okay, well, I'm going to jump that. They're, they're taken care of. That's going to go over there, and that's going to be faster. But we all know that's not how chess works. It's just one of those things. But I have to physically and mentally say, I need to keep my hands off the pieces. It's kind of like, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? Palms up. God, I don't know. I need to make a move here. 
So if surrender is, is my choice, God can't make me do it. He's basically saying that the choice is yours, Scott. He knows that I love control and I'm a perfectionist and I'm a detailist and I give him things and then I take them back and then I give him the same thing again and then I take it back again. I'm so thankful that God, you know, is patient, you know, with me. Very, very patient with me. So the choice is mine. So either I choose to do it or I can say, hey, God, I'm going to surrender to you. Will you help me with the choices, you know, that I'm making? Pastor Dick Foth, who's on our teaching team here, and a co-author, Mark Batterson, who's a pastor in the D.C. area, say this in the book, Trip Around the Sun. You should pick that book up sometime. If you truly surrender to him, you will do more, you will be more, you will experience more. Life will just be more. I love that. If you truly surrender him, you will be more, do more, and you will experience more. Well, chess, and for me as a pastor, life, living a life fully surrendered to God is complicated. And so I've been at Panera several times, and there's a gentleman that sits in the far back corner that tutors students on how to be able to play chess. And it's fun sometimes just to eavesdrop and hear some of the tips and the different things, you know, that he says to them. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but in chess, these are some things that will help you, and I think they also apply to us as we wrestle with this word surrender for today. Make the best possible move. Not necessarily the perfect move or the right move, but the best possible move. That kind of takes the pressure off. Just make the best possible move with what you have. I love this next one. Control the center of the board. Control the center of the board. Because if you control the center of a chessboard, you're going to do fine. Same thing in life. Control the center of my life. Lord, my heart. Out of my heart, my mouth speaks. Lord, will you help me control the center? If I control the center of my life, which is equal to the center of a chessboard, We'll be fine. It's all about your king. The focus of chess is all about the king. And I love that in life. That's the same for us. If we fully surrender, it's all about the king. And then the last little tip, there's so many tips for this, but always be alert. Got to be alert. If you fall asleep at a chessboard, you kind of just lose your, your focus. You're going to end up getting your king captured. Same thing in life. We got to be alert, you know, in life. Well, let's get real with each other. Surrender is incredibly, incredibly hard. We have 104 staff members on our three campuses here at Timberline Church, and part of my job is to work with them. I go visit our campuses, I interact with our staff in the halls, and I have a great time doing it. If I could tell you the number of people that have spoken into the message this weekend, you would just shake your head. Great staff have given me a lot of great thoughts. I ask them, why is surrender so hard? These are people that work at a church, and we wrestle through this all the time. But these are some things that they said, and I thought I'd just let you know. I can't name them all by name because there's just too many to tell you. The top answer that illustrated across all of this was the illusion of control. It's an illusion. I love that phrase because we think we're in control. I think I'm in control all the time. I just did a wedding in Boulder the other day, and I love having my notes scripted out in the previous service. I bumped it, and it went all the way to the bottom of my notes. So it totally just kind of set me off, and I'm like, oh, great. Now i got to go find my notes so I'm not ultimately in control. Technology was. Well, in this wedding, I'm sitting out there, and at the very end, my almost last thing to say to this couple and all the people in the wedding is avoid noticing the little faults in each other. Well, you want to know what came out of my mouth? Avoid noticing the little farts. And I, the couple just died, and they, all the people, I'm like, did, it, did everybody catch that? Should I just move on? Did I really just say that out loud at a wedding? And the, the groom leaned over me, and he goes, and the big ones too. Uh, anyway, 
not really in control. So it's just one of those things. Well, let's admit it. It is scary to surrender. It really is. It's hard. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the final. If I give it to God, what's he really going to do with this? We're not really sure. Admitting I can't fix it myself. I'm a fixer. Just ask my wife. I like to fix everything. She'll tell me something that she wants to, you know, to just talk about and have me to listen and what do I do? I am jumping in and I am fixing it before she's even done with her sentence. It's the same in surrender. I have to surrender to God and admit that I can't fix everything. Pride. Oh, man. Why is it hard to surrender? Because of our pride. It keeps us, you know, from surrendering. Well, one person on the staff gave me a question that I just love. And you can maybe ask yourself this question as you go from here. Do I really believe that Jesus knows more about you fill in the blank than I do? Does Jesus really know more about my frustration at my job than I do? Does Jesus really know more about my struggling marriage than I do? Does Jesus know more about my addiction that I'm battling that nobody knows about than I do? I think we can all say the answer is yes. He does, and so why don't we let him help us with that? Well, Scripture, there's so many examples in Scripture of people that had a fully surrendered life and they struggled through it. Joseph, Pastor Jeff talked about him last week. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Man, talk about surrender to give birth to the Son of God. What an amazing thing to surrender your life to the Lord. Jesus himself in the garden before he went to die for us. Not, your, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Moses, Abraham, so many great examples. You know what I love? Not one of them in the Bible was perfect. Not one, just like us. So let's keep that in mind. Let's go back to Moses for a minute. If you know the story, the Egyptians, the Israelites, the Israelites escaped you know, uh, Egypt and sent them. Pharaoh said, you guys go, we're done with you. So they left. Pharaoh changed his mind, chased them down. They're at the brink of the Red Sea. The Israelites are freaking out, going, we are in trouble, we're captured. It's kind of like in chess. They were feeling cornered, nowhere to go. Whatever move they made would lead to death. But this is what Moses told them in Exodus 14, 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Talk about that in a moment of just surrender, to say that. The Lord will fight for you. Just stay calm. Well, guess what happened next in the story? Parted the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites went across on dry ground. The Egyptians chased them in. Bam, obliterated, the sea closed, the Egyptians were done, Israelites were safe on the other side, and they had to look back and go, it started with a moment of surrender. Well, another point in your bulletin, we have two more to go, is take my hands off the pieces and wait for God to guide my next move because he knows best. Take my hands off the pieces, wait for God to guide my next move because he knows best. I had something happen to me a couple of weeks ago that I want to just tell you. And it's just a little short story about a little moment of surrender. I was getting ready to text someone. I don't ever see this person. They don't go to Timberline Church. We don't ever interact on the phone. It's just somebody that is a prayer warrior for me, always has been and always will. Well, I had a text ready to go and I was about to hit send and I felt like I shouldn't send it. So I didn't. I don't know why. I just didn't. So I deleted it and just waited. The next day I had the same feeling inside of myself. So I typed it up again and this is what I felt like came across to me, trust me. And I'm thinking, looking at my phone before I hit send, and I'm like, what? Trust me. I thought, what in the world? Okay, I'm working on this message, surrender, right? And I'm going, okay, I'm going to surrender this small thing. But God, this person, I really need him to pray for me. But I didn't send it. I deleted it. Well, guess what happened the next day? I got a text from her that said, hey, Scott, I don't know what it is, but in my prayer time, God put you specifically on my heart, and I just wanted you to know that I am praying for you. 
is there anything specific that I could be praying for? Guess what I got to do? I got to send her the text anyway because God nudged her and had her pray for me. So that's what I mean, a small moment of surrender. I could have hit send, but I chose not to, and just God does some great things when you think about surrender. Well, the psalmist ends it with this, a couple of verses, the last two in the passage, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. How do you go about doing this? How do you go about surrendering? How do you go about saying, God, search me and know me? Well, the last point, which is actually the first point that we started with, is this. Embrace that surrender is not defeat, but it's victory instead. It's not. It's not defeat. It's victory. So what do we need to do? How do we surrender? I'm a three-by-five card guy, and I've got some three-by-five cards. Uh, our staff and team volunteers have placed them in your seats. I'm going to have you take those out and you can get ready to do something for me. But I want you to think about what's an area of surrender in your life that we need to do. What do we need to bring before the all-present, the all-knowing, and the all-powerful God? So Cameron and Christina are going to lead us in a song in a minute. But what I want to do is I want to just tell you how things are going to go for the next few minutes. But I want you to know this from Mark Batterson. He says this in his book, Wild Goose Chase. Lack of surrender causes us to be caged Christians and therefore limits our potential. Lack of surrender causes us to be caged Christians and limits our potential. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a caged Christian. I don't want to be a caged pastor who struggles with surrender every single day. I want to get a little bit better each and every day surrendering to the Lord. And that's our hope this weekend. Well, my daughter Reagan sent me a quote as well that I've really wrestled with. It's kind of like picturing two things. She sent me a quote that she read online, and it said, Godly surrender is really more of a trusting God stance. So I have to trust God if I'm going to actually surrender to him. If I'm going to surrender, I need to trust. If I'm going to trust, I need to surrender. They kind of go hand in hand. Well, here's what we're going to do. Take that out. Write the word surrender on the white side of the card, kind of like a white flag moment, if you will. It's a great spot to write. Put it somewhere, a bookmark, put it on your bathroom mirror, set it somewhere that God can remind you this week about surrender and what that means for you. And then what I'm going to have you do, all of us are going to do it together. If you want to, you can. On the backside where the lines are, we're just going to have you write some things down that God maybe is nudging you. I, I know immediately I need to surrender this. Maybe during the song, God's going to nudge you through his Holy Spirit to write something down that you maybe need to surrender. Pick an area or two. Then we're going to start and we're going to worship the Lord through this song, I Surrender. And Cameron and Christina are going to lead us. And I'm going to step over to the board and I'm going to write some things down that I think typically we struggle surrendering to God in case you need a few ideas for your own card. And then partway through the song, you're going to see some white flags show up that look just like this one behind me. They're going to show up around the auditorium and in the south as well. And when they get into place, we're going to have you guys stand and we're going to sing a song together. You're going to join in with our already started. And if you have a moment, you'd like to step out and go to that white flag to just say, I surrender, Lord. We want you to be able to do that. It's a very powerful song. And we want to engage with it, you know, together. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to lead us. You're going to have just a few seconds here to write some things down. And then we want you, I'll tell you when you can stand up and we can start singing. And when we stand, if you'd like to move to one of the white flags around one of our auditoriums, we ask you to do that. Nobody's going to be judging you. We're a very loving congregation. We call this our living room for a very specific reason. This is family. So we want you to do that. 
So we're going to sing along with them. I'm going to write some things down on the board. So take some time with those three-by-five cards, your little white flags, and then let's engage with the song. The lyrics will be on the screen. Join with us in singing while you're seated, and then we'll have some fun at the end singing it together. Let's sing. Thanks, Cameron and Christina. Now, whether you stepped out and went to a flag nearby, or whether you're still standing at the spot that you came into, regardless, we all have things in our life that we have to surrender So we want to be able to pray for those of you that step to a flag and you're surrendering something to the Lord. We don't have to know what it is. The psalmist in the psalm says, God already knew it before you wrote it down on your card. I love that about God. The challenge is he just has to help us get to that point where we surrender. And that's what he's doing here this morning. For those of you that stepped out to an area of a flag or maybe you're surrendering something at your seat, I want you to hear something from me is that God is smiling when we wrestle through surrender. So I want you to know this. You should not have your head down in shame or guilt because that would be your opponent, the enemy, who would do that. He wants you to have your head down. But we have a God, we have a king who is saying, look up, look to me to be your strength. This psalm is all about the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God, and so we are going to be surrendering to him each and every day. The thing I love, he's not asking us to do it perfectly. I don't. Sorry if that shatters your perception of a pastor, but I could be sitting right in your seat. I could be standing at one of these flags, turning my own things that I struggle with surrender in my life. So you just need to know that today. But let's pray for these people that are here at these flags. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that when we step out and we say we want to lay something at your feet, that you are there with outstretched arms. We don't come up out of the bunker and we're going to get shot. We come up out of the bunker and we say, I surrender, Lord, and you meet us with our outstretched arms. We're grateful for that. Thank you for that. For these individuals that have stepped out, would you help them with their things they have written down on their card and that we as a church, even in this moment, will be praying over them and with them. Give them strength. Give them energy. Bring people into their life that's going to come alongside of them. And that as they surrender... Lord, it won't be defeat. It'll actually be victory. So we're thankful for that together. In Jesus' name, amen.